Hey everyone, welcome to Hope Brooklyn. My name is Bryant and I'm one of the pastors here and we're just so glad and excited that you're tuning in with us. Um, as you may have heard, Russell is on a sabbatical. He'll be gone for the next six weeks getting some much needed R&R time. And so for the next six weeks, we're gonna have some amazing speakers coming in, um, sharing their stories and the message of the gospel. And so we're in a series right now called My First Love. And we'll be starting today. It's gonna be a series of people just sharing their first encounters with Jesus and what compelled them and drew them into following in a relationship with Him. And today I titled my sermon, A Space for Hope. And I wanted to start off with a question that maybe many of us can relate to. I wanted to ask, if you ever felt like you were in a place where you didn't belong. I think for the majority of my life, it was a battle of trying to prove myself and it was a battle of trying to be accepted. And at the end, I think I failed relentlessly. Even as a young child, I grew up in a household where we only spoke Korean. It was a Korean immigrant home. Although I was born in the States, uh, my mom nor my grandparents knew how to speak English. So at home, we spoke Korean. And I remember starting school and I entered a place that was very foreign and very weird. Everyone was speaking a language that I was not familiar with. Everyone was speaking a, it felt like they were speaking code. And I remember I, was, I began my, my ESL program, which is a English as second language program. And even as a kid, I remember being bullied for not being able to speak English. And I remember getting into a lot of fights even as a kindergartner. Um, I got into fights because I thought people were making fun of me. But they could have simply been asking, hey, where's the bathroom? And just growing up, I just made, it a, a pro I made a promise to myself that I will belong and I will be accepted. And so growing up, it was a multiple battle. Uh, multiple battles of just being able to find my place and to have a voice. And even as an adult, um, as a pastor, Although no one puts this pressure on me, I always feel this insecurity that I don't belong here. And for most of my life, that was my story. And maybe you can relate and maybe you cannot. And there's a story that I resonate with in Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 48. And it's a, it's a narrative and a story about a woman who's trying to be accepted and to belong in a place where she shouldn't have been. And it goes like this. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. The story begins with Jesus encountering a man named Jairus. He's a synagogue leader and thus has the attention of Jesus despite a large crowd. Jairus makes a request to Jesus to say, please come, my daughter is dying. She's 12 years old and she's dying. Can you come and heal her? In this encounter, Jesus originally intends to go on this miraculous journey to go and heal the daughter of Jairus. However, this narrative is interrupted by this so-called woman. So what do we know about this woman? She has been subject to hemorrhaging for 12 years, which would cause her to ritually be unclean. Although her condition was not contagious by any physical contact, 
she would have been socially an outcast. She is on a quest to find a cure, but no one could heal her. And lastly, and most importantly, she has no name in this story. It's interesting to see the contrast of a, of a popular, influential figure like Jairus. And as Jesus is going to the house of Jairus to heal his daughter, this random woman appears. And for all intents and purposes, this woman shouldn't be a part of this narrative. Unlike Jairus, who is named in the story, she isn't given one. Unlike Jairus, who has recognition and influence, she is a nameless face in the crowd. Unlike Jairus, who is a synagogue leader, she doesn't have permission to even be in one. But in resemblance to Jairus, she has suffered 12 years with this disease, which is the age of his daughter. Imagine 12 years of your life, not being able to hold someone's hand, to be hugged, or to be kissed. Imagine for 12 years of your life, you are isolated and removed from society, not by choice, but by a condition you cannot control. For 12 years of life, you're looked upon as a disease and not a person. For 12 years of your life, you are absolutely hopeless because no one can help you. This is this woman's life. After 12 years, I'm sure she has accepted it as destiny. And I'm just imagining now in the season of being quarantined and I know we're slowly being able to go out and to, you know, frequent places. But it hasn't even been 12 months and some of us are feeling the weight of loneliness. Some of us are feeling the weight of not being able to give someone a hug. And I know this seems very trivial, but it feels weird to think about the next time that I could give someone a high five. But this woman has suffered 12 years of her life by a disease that has defined her, by a disease that essentially labels her as a sinner. Not because she has done anything bad, not because she has lived a, a poor life or a bad life, we don't know. But usually in culture during that time, when you were unclean, you were claimed to be a sinner. You were claimed to have inherited the generational sins of your family. Her entire life, she's been reminded and told, you don't belong here. Her sickness has shaped her identity and life. She has been told to live of shame, fear, and loneliness. There is no cure here. She does not belong here. But she, here she is, an interruption to this narrative. She's an interruption to Jesus' miraculous work as he's off to heal Jairus' daughter, or we think. It says in verse 44, She came up behind him, him being Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. With all of the hope and faith that she had left, she reached out and grabbed the tassels, the, the, the little ropes that are hanging from his robe, grabbed onto it with the hope that she will be healed. We don't know how she has heard about him being the Messiah. We don't know how she has heard that this is the healer. But she has used up all of her options. She has used up all of her resources. And she says, this is my last chance. 
And although in the passage it says that she has touched the tassels and the, the edge of his rope, it doesn't simply mean that she just tapped it. This, this, this word touched is an is a idea of adhering to, of clinging onto. She essentially grabbed hold of the tassels of Jesus' rope. And Jesus asks a very interesting question in verse 45. He says, Who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. And it's always interesting that in a very profound moment, Peter finds the right words to make it very awkward. And I know it's a weird thing to ask. Imagine being on a seven train on, on, a, on a rush hour. I know it's a little bit weird to think about now, but during rush hour commute, and then you begin to ask, who touched me? You could take a million guesses. <laughs> who brushed up on you? Whose hair touched you? So in a, in a crowd, and remember in the passage before it says, he, he was in a crowd that almost crushed him. But yet, he said he experienced this power being taken from him, of, being, of leaving him. And it's weird that he asks this question because it says that the woman was healed immediately. And let's be real, Jesus knows who it is. He's not asking this question because he's trying to find out who ruined his robe. He's not asking this question because he's curious. He's asking this question because he's leaving an opportunity for this woman to be restored. See, she was healed physically. But there's a bigger component that's missing here. And by Jesus asking, who touched me? He's not trying to expose her to punish her or to condemn her. He wants the crowd to know who is being restored. And it continues on verse 47 to say, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. See, it would have been an outrageous act for this woman who is unclean to touch someone that is clean. It is already a bold and outrageous act that she's in the crowd. See, people who were considered unclean were just socially outcasted. They were isolated. They were quarantined. They were not allowed to be with the general public. They were not allowed to be within reaching hands, reaching arms of people. They were not allowed to touch anybody else. She would have been condemned. She would have been punished. Jesus would have gone through a whole ritual of trying to be cleansed. So it's an outrageous act for an unclean person to touch a clean person. Because the reality is that unclean person will make that person unclean. Are you following? But here, there's a reversal that happens. The clean person, Jesus, cleanses and heals the unclean. It's a short foretelling of what will happen on the cross when Jesus dies for our sins. Those who are, he's surrounded by quote-unquote unclean. He is surrounded by those who are sinful. And by sinful, I mean just missing the mark. I, by sinful, I mean 
all of us who desire to be in relationship with Jesus, but at the end of the day, our hearts are torn. And see, this is why it's interesting that we're doing a series called My First Love. Because even though we're a Christian, for those who claim to be Christians, we can try to say that Jesus was our first love, but let's be honest, it, He was not. And even till this day, our hearts desire different things. Our hearts are being pulled and gravitated towards other desires. But fortunately for us, we were Jesus' first love. Fortunately for us, Jesus held the power to quote-unquote make us clean. To take away the, the, the brokenness, to restore the joy, to restore the, 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 the power of being able to be in right relationship with Him. See, when Jesus calls out, who touched me? This woman has legitimate reasons to be fearful. In the beginning, she doesn't say anything because she's afraid of being exposed. Maybe fear of being punished herself or maybe the fear of her admitting that she has touched the Messiah. But she has legitimate fears. She understands her role and place in society. And she understands this is not where she should be. But she finally confesses. She says, it is I. And I've been instantly healed. And I'm just trying to imagine what that woman was feeling. I'm trying to imagine what she was just trying to, what she was thinking. What would this man Jesus say to me? Of course, in hindsight, we can look at the passage and know what happens. But in that split second, in that moment, when she confesses, she doesn't know how Jesus will respond. She doesn't know if she will be punished, if she will be outcasted. But Jesus responds in verse 48 and says this to her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. See, although she was physically healed, there was a big piece of her life that was removed from her with the sickness. With the sickness. She wasn't just in pain from the bleeding. She, she was lonely. She was abandoned. She was forgotten. And one of the most powerful things in this response from Jesus is that he calls her daughter. Nowhere else in the, in the accounts of the gospel does Jesus call anyone daughter with this type of endearment. Notice how the story began with Jairus asking for his daughter to be healed. And then this random woman comes in and interrupts it. She's, she's not a daughter to anyone at this moment. She's a foreigner. She's unloved. She's outcasted. She's unclean. But by Jesus calling this woman daughter, he is pouring out his grace, his love, and affirmation into her life. He is restoring her back into community. He is acknowledging that she has been healed not just of her physical sickness, but from the societal ailment. Jesus is giving life back into this woman. After 12 years of bleeding and feeling hopeless, and I can't imagine for 12 years being on a quest, going from doctor to doctor, physician to physician, from one council to another, wondering, can somebody help me? And here, as he calls her daughter, 
she is restored into his rightful family. As he calls her daughter, he is letting the crowd know. He is letting everyone know that she is affirmed and she is loved. He is restoring her identity, not as a sick woman, not as a nameless figure, but someone who is loved and accepted. See, this story resonates with my first encounter with Jesus. Although I grew up in the church my entire life, it was a very confusing journey for me. Church was a, my relationship with Jesus was simply a, a social thing. It's somewhere where I went because my mom brought me. It was a place that I went and I participated in because I felt like that was the rhythm of my life. But it wasn't until 17 years of going to church when I was a junior in high school that I encountered the true relationship with Jesus. In many ways, like this woman, I wasn't suffering from a physical disease. But for so much of my life as a teenager and as a child, as a kid, I was searching for a place to belong. I was trying to belong with my friends who grew up with fathers. I was trying to belong in a place and a culture that wasn't my own. I was trying to belong in a place where I can be loved and I could be affirmed. And for so much of my teenage years, it was spent just trying to fill this emptiness, trying to fill this void. Whether it was just surrounding myself with friends that could just constantly affirm me, that I'll do whatever it takes to be accepted by them. Whether it was to focus on my academics, that I need to reach this threshold to be acknowledged as someone that is smart, that is intelligent, because for so much of my life, when I was younger, I was, I was someone that just didn't know how to speak English. I didn't know, you know, the culture. I didn't know the, the capitals of the United States. I was a kid that just tried to find a place to belong. And I remember my encounter with Jesus. I was in a place where I just didn't feel loved. I didn't feel worthy. I felt like the crowd was telling me, you don't belong here. But for some reason in my heart, I kept hearing this affirmation. I kept hearing this voice to reach out. And in the moment of just brokenness and anxiety and fear, I called out to Jesus. I called out to him and I said, if you are the Jesus, that I, I heard about so much for 17 years of going to church. I need you right now. And like this woman, I reached out and I grabbed and I held on to him tightly because he was all that I had left. He was all that I knew. And in that moment, I felt this overwhelming comfort, this overwhelming security. That even though in moments where I felt like I wasn't good enough, where I, I was lacking, and in all my moments of failure, of trying to live up to something, Jesus reminded me that He loves me and that I'm accepted exactly where I am. If you're not ready to reach out your hand to Jesus today, I understand. It's a bold step, it's an unimaginable step, and it doesn't make sense. 
But if you at any moment in your life felt like this woman today, where you exhausted all of your resources, you exhausted all of your energy, you exhausted all of your, you, you went to all types of counsel and comfort, and you're here today saying, I still feel hopeless. I still feel empty. Maybe for some of us, we've put all our energy and our hope into being a good father, a good mother. In a moment of failure, it hurts. Maybe for some of us, we've tried to fill our hearts and our minds with just enter any forms of entertainment to just numb how we're feeling today. Maybe we've ex experienced moments of just trying to go from one person to one person, trying to find affirmation and love from them, and yet all we find is rejection. If you felt like this woman for 12 years of feeling hopeless, isolated, and alone, I want to challenge you and invite you today. Reach out your hand to Jesus. Call out to Him. Don't allow the crowd to prevent you from reaching out to Him. Don't allow your past failures and mistakes to paralyze you from taking the next step to entering into a relationship with Jesus. And don't allow your lack of influence, reputation, or authority convince you that you're not significant enough in the story of Jesus. See, the beauty of this passage is that although this woman might have felt that she was an interruption in the work of Jesus, and maybe even the crowds, as they were following Jesus to witness this miracle, began to wonder, who is this woman? And she might have even felt insignificant at that point. Maybe she thought, if I just touch it and walk away, I'll be healed and this will be over. But no, Jesus affirmed her and said, you are significant to me. You are worthy to me. You are someone that I love and that I will call a daughter. So I encourage you today, test the waters of Jesus. Reach out, grab a hold of him. If that's just a moment of you being in prayer and silence and meditation and just trying to ignore the crowd, ignore the noise, maybe it's, it's a process of us getting rid of these boulders and these hurdles that we put in front of our relationship with Jesus. Whatever it may be, I boldly encourage you, grab a hold of Jesus today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we know it's a scary step to enter into a relationship with you. And maybe we don't have everything figured out. There may be a lot of things that are holding us back. Maybe past failures. Maybe moments of just fear. Maybe the crowd is telling us we don't belong. But God, we know that we belong to you. We know that you have, a, you have a place for us, a home for us. We know that we have a special place in your heart today. So Jesus, may we reach out to you and you re, may you respond to us by calling us daughter, son, a child, and allowing your peace to enter into our lives. May you bring restoration, healing, and comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time in our service, we join in on what we call communion. 
It's a time to remember Jesus, and it's a tradition that's been passed from the early church and from Jesus himself to us. There's two elements that are involved in the communion. It's the, the bread or cracker and the cup, the juice. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us. And the cup represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And as we take these communion elements, it's a way for us to be able to remember Jesus, but also to recognize that we're a family of believers, not just in, across the city or across the world, but across time. And if you're not comfortable with taking these elements today, that is totally fine. We ask that you take a moment to just reflect on whatever was said, to reflect on Jesus, and to partake in His relationship with you. So at this time, take the bread together. And the cup. And at this point, we'll be transitioning into a time of worship. So please take time to just sing, sing with us and just to reflect on who God is and who He is in our life. 